0: welcome to startup junto a podcast by your host the finance ghost and the venturing vagabond who writes fantastic startup themed articles for the both of us are fascinated by startups and how businesses grow inspired by the club for mutual improvement of the same name that was put together by benjamin franklin in the 1700s in startup junto we hope to pick the brains of players in the south african startup and venture capital arenas in the process we just want to learn. You do as well, which is why you are listening. Welcome to Startup Jinto. This is the inaugural episode of Startup Jinto and we're very excited to be here. We've got the Venturing Vagabond on the line.
1: It's great to be here for the very first junto. Very honored to kick off the podcast with such an iconic fintech business such as Snapscan. Most people will be familiar with the company with the Snapscan logo popping up everywhere these days.
0: I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, sitting here in Cape Town with Chris Seitzman and Derek Truscott, the CEO and CFO of SnapScan, respectively.
1: Chris, Derek, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, we're really excited to pick your guys' brains today and actually get under the hood a little bit of, uh, of SnapScan and what it's like to be two young executives, essentially, in a startup, which you know we think is something really, really topical at the moment. Chris, you've been here since 2016. Derek, you haven't been here too long. And uh, Derek's the CFO. Chris, you started here as the CFO, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Derek obviously spikes your drinks daily to try and get rid of you and, and just accelerate that succession plan, I'm sure. You know, there's a yeah. clear path. got to do what you have to. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's completely, it's completely understandable. So without too much ado, I'm going to hand over to the venture in Vagabond who can start to pick your guys' brains.
1: Obviously, consumers love the product, but the real clients here for Snapscan is... Um, your merchants. So I think for those that haven't heard about Snapscan or potentially those contemplating um, partnering with Snapscan, I think it'd be nice to hear from you guys exactly why a merchant would choose to partner with Snapscan.
2: I think it's it's worth stating that, that we definitely see the consumers as, as products. Um, you have to look at Snapscan as a double-sided marketplace. We need users to drive merchant adoption and we need merchants to drive user adoption. So it's it's this like really critical ecosystem that when you upset it, all of a sudden you 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 very quickly see it in the numbers. For for a merchant, I mean the the value proposition is quite simple. And and, and this is really related to the the very simple principle that, that we've kept within the business since day one and that's that you can now accept card payments without without having to invest in expensive hardware. You can do so from, and you can accept those payments from from any card with, within South Africa. So whether it's a debit or credit card that's issued, your consumers can securely uh, load those those cards into SnapScan, and when they scan and pay your QR code, they, they can make those payments. And the, the QR was really how we launched. Since then, we've we've done a bunch of uh, innovation around that, and we've we've created click-to-pay links. We've we've recently Um, allowed our merchants to also accept payments from payment gateways. Um, And so the the ability to to accept payments is kind of ever increasing. And I think that's kind of the the, the really nice thing for merchants is you, you get this one relationship and more rails get switched on over time.
0: So, I mean, Chris, it's very much a network effect business. You know, you've got to have a lot of people who are paying on it, and then you're going to have a lot of merchants. But likewise, you've got to have the merchants to have people paying. And that's what a network effect business is, is the more people who use it, the more valuable it becomes. And if we look at global trends in tech and investing, it's those sorts of businesses that are doing really well and create the biggest barriers to entry, trade at the best multiples. And eventually experience this kind of winner-takes-all economics that is really defining what's going on in global tech, where in any given vertical there are one or two players who win,
2: and they win because they get big enough to win. Big enough to win, but also keep their competition out. So yeah. if if you look at the, the guys that have really done well, and, and you look looking at the way in which Square and Cash App work together, for example, I mean they they work extremely hard in in order to provide a a consumer experience which no other application or product that gets access to that ecosystem can provide and and if you're doing that and if you're leveraging both sides then then you'll do well the the question is how you do that in south africa this this is not the us the the total addressable market of yeah. Um, individuals in South Africa is really small. If you just look at the number of just general taxpayers in South Africa, and then if you distill that down to the the number of those taxpayers that have smartphones and and also use data on a day-to-day basis, I mean, the the, the market size in South Africa is really tough, and and yeah. that's kind of the things that we're um, looking at on a day-to-day basis to figure out how we scale this product further. Like we'll have to look at at new ways in in which we can facilitate payment receiving and payment making if we want to encompass the entire south africa yeah totally addressable markets a problem down here
1: yeah i guess on that i've got just two questions i'm just curious with this uh with the COVID era have you guys seen an acceleration in adoption of uh, a payment technology like SnapScan? people obviously with people trying to avoid unnecessary
3: contact and stuff like that
2: yeah i think this is a this is a numbers question so i'm gonna (laughs) hospital pass this to derek
3: yeah, there was, there was definitely a strong narrative around contactless payments during the COVID lockdown, especially a turnover is all uh, merchant-driven. So obviously, if your coffee shops are closed down, your small traders in you know certain metros or your big metros, you'll obviously at the, you'll see a decline there. But it then swings the other way with this whole drive towards e-commerce, contactless payments, people looking for quick and easy ways to accept payments in a in a difficult uh, economic environment. We've done a, a very, we've been very successful by for instance, removing the sign-up fee uh, when the lockdown period started, that drove massive uh, volumes towards us as people were looking for ways to get paid cheap and easy. And we've seen great influx uh, inbound sales from people signing up for SnapScan, and that kind of cemented it through. Um, the e-commerce guys started uh, doing really well, um, and as small merchants started trading again, that just bolstered it even further. And you know, we can we can successfully say we've 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 recovered very well. And like really going from strength to strength in this period, yeah. and it's a robust onboarding process
0: as well as I discovered myself because uh, the friendly finance ghost decided over lockdown that there might be a market for webinars, and so I decided, okay, great, let me uh, let me uh, get involved here with my mate Derek and and use SnapScan and be all techie and cool. And uh, uh, sure enough, when a, a business called the finance ghost applies for a, a SnapScan code with no visible product <laughs> on the website, the compliance red flags go up. I imagine that my name was on a board somewhere and they were like, this is it. This is now an international terrorist who's trying to get money through to the Cayman Islands. But I can say there was a robust onboarding that I was quite impressed with. It's not a joke to get a SnapScan code.
3: Yeah, well, I'll be honest. When when your application came through, I actually asked the guys in onboarding to uh, keep an eye on it for me. Oh,
0: is that it? you knew dodgy you, things but. when you saw it. Okay. Yeah. So when your friend is the CFO, it's actually worse, not better. Is that what you're saying?
3: I just need <laughs> to make sure the ghost is compliant at all times. It's, uh,
0: Fair enough. I probably need to make sure. There's an too. inside job, ghost
3: <laughs> Chris. You
1: mentioned uh, total addressable market, and I'm um, well, I'm just curious to to understand uh, why is this adoption in in countries like China and Japan? We've seen mass adoptions of different alternative payment methods, specifically QR codes through applications like Alipay and WeChat. Um, but in other countries like America, that's usually quite tech savvy. Um, it's mostly been ignored. So, what would you guys say um, drives adoption for the for these type of uh, payment methods?
2: So, so how long is this podcast? Two hours, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you have to payments is a fascinating industry. I, I always say to people, there's there's absolutely no money in payments, but there's a lot of value to to be derived if, if you do it right. And I think that's something that the Chinese know. Like they they know that they can use digital payments as a a, a form factor to drive formalising of payments within a informal space. So if you look at the the type of pictures that came out of China, like in the early 2010s, uh, and you look at the the QR codes um, displayed and, and the type of vendors that had those QR codes, those those were like. Those were SMEs in, in in our terminology, right? Those are, are small businesses, and they yeah. they operate in a market environment, which is where Snapscan saw its its initial success. They, they I mean, <laughs> then you've got to look at the way in which China just addresses just the the general maturity of its citizens. Like they they ensure that there is proper data penetration, that it's uh, expensive and uh, not expensive, and it's it's, it's accessible. I mean, the Chinese government will also mandate what kind of apps you're allowed to use. And, and in some instances, they do a lot of good with, with that power. Um, and so they've, they've ensured that the applications that get access to, to, to build these fintech products in, in China um, do a good job of it. And so they've built really good and robust products and they've been able to iterate way past yours. I mean, these days they're just doing facial recognition payments in China and tokenizing your card and identifying you. And just remotely processing a a transaction either off your card or straight from your your bank account or your wallet. If you consider the way in which you go and eat out uh, at a restaurant in in America, when you're done dining, you give your credit card to the waiter and they go to a room and swipe your card. And so the mentality of, of digital payment adoption just doesn't exist in the U.S. the way in which it exists in China. Those are really the, just the highlights of it. I think what's really cool is the way in which the U.S. have adopted contactless phone payments, so stuff like Apple Pay and, and Google Pay. I mean, I hope to see those in, in SA soon. Uh, I think it'll be a really great addition to the, the form factors that we have, or the, the channels for payments in South Africa.
3: Also, just take note with, with the U.S., they've also been pretty good at adopting peer-to-peer payments. Um, where, you know, they have a bit of an archaic system, still running wire transfers, uh, all those kind of things. And if you look at the success of Venmo and Cash App, for instance, they've, they've managed to change peer-to-peer payments into utility as well. And it's part of their daily dialogue in, in terms of, you know, Venmo Venmo me the money, and the way they do their- It's a verb. It, it's a verb, yeah. Which is, if you're looking at Google terms, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, when you become a
0: verb, that's always the measure of success. You can snap scan at a market. I've heard my wife say that, so that counts for something. We lined you up for that one. <laughs> I was at a market literally this weekend, and
2: it was just snap scan everywhere. It was uh, it was pretty cool. We're still doing that thing where we're paying you ten rand every time you say snap scan. Yeah, is it only ten yeah. bucks? I thought it was ten dollars. No, no, ten bucks. So you better keep uh, on
0: plugging our product. Okay. <laughs> ten, 10 bucks and an approved QR code. I think that's that's the harder thing to get around here. Deal.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll press the verified button. Yeah,
0: text the big green button somewhere that lets me go. <laughs> so, guys, this is Snapscan 2.0, where you are now. So, 1.0 happened, and the market knows about it, and, and we don't want to get into detail on that. But I think for anyone listening to this podcast, it's useful to at least have a two-minute overview of what happened, where it's come from, how it, you know, how it grew to where it is today, who it was partnered with, et cetera, et cetera. So, just a quick high level. What was Snapscan 1.0? that got us to where we are today?
2: Okay, well, I think Snapscan 1.0 kind of got us to, to 2018. Um, and that was really in terms of the initial founding team, who I, I know quite well and, and who I worked with pretty extensively. So so Snapscan was incubated in an incubator in, in Stellenbosch. It's formed part of the Fire ID group of companies and kind of split away after, and I'm probably... Messing up the story because this is all before my time, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. scan 0.5, we're getting here. <laughs> yeah. No one's quite sure what happened there. We'll
0: get to 1.0 it's,
2: shortly. It's mysterious, like a ghost. Yes,
0: well, that's it. You know, um, what am I paying you every time you say?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, not enough. No, <laughs> Give you the ten bucks back. <laughs> so, so I mean, the the initial team did really well in, in just building out the 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 main. And, and core capability um, of, of Snapscan. And, and so the, the main idea for them was always to sell the business. Do a, I mean, at the time, you know, in, in 2014, what you want to do is build a startup and then have a big exit, right, like everyone else. And so that, that happened towards the end of 2016. And, and after a few tranche purchases, Standard Bank kind of bought out the remaining shareholders of, of those individuals um, and that's kind of where the the new SnapScan started. Um, I kind of took over as a CEO towards the, the end of 2018, and started building a, a really competent and, and exciting team uh, around me. And so Derek was was one of those hires, uh, and we were able to to hire a bunch of people um, from within the company. I mean. Our COO used to do sales. So did the head of product. I mean, <laughs> That's they, awesome. they were they were vastly students, and they were kind of just <laughs> selling SnapScan to merchants on the side. Um, That's brilliant, though. That's how you build a culture. Exactly. So I mean, we we've always hired for for competence and culture. If you tick both those, then you'll find a place in in SnapScan. Um, That's cool. And so that's, that's kind of how Snapscan 2.0 um, was was born. Uh, we don't call it that, but, uh, you know, for, for every, the man and woman on the street, that's that's kind of how we, we got here. And we're kind of really spending a lot of time figuring out what we'll be doing in future. We have a, a lot of buy-in from our investors. Um, they're really excited about our aspirations as a company and, and where we're headed. And it's it's really it's really fu- a fun job, like helping helping banks figure out how payments should look and trying to to provide them with a context of where where banks in future will will find their kind of right of passage or, or right of existence. Yeah, that's
0: fantastic. I mean, in terms of you guys figuring out now what the future looks like, how much of that can you share? What would you be willing to share it would be interesting to know what the insights are that are allowed to be public. And also, just a little bit about current state of play. You know, can you share who the investors are? It would just be good to lift the hood a bit on where you are now, to the extent you can. Obviously,
2: recognising this is a private, held company. Any insights would be interesting. Um, cool. So, I mean, where we're headed is is probably not a conversation we can uh, pop the boot on just yet. Yeah. Um, we'll watch the news. But I, I think um, next year will will be a really exciting year for SnapScan. Um, we're really working hard on. Um, expanding our our capabilities, um, and I, th- I think it, you know we we've, we've identified in the market uh, what what a number of players have known for a long time, and, and that's the the statement I made a bit earlier. There's there's not much money in payments, but there's a lot of value in processing them. Um, so so we are we've got a keen focus for our general payments platform, but we don't see it as our Um, our main source of revenue in the longer term we've really adopted a mentality that um, we want to treat payments very much as a utility um, and we want to build products that provide value um, and an entrenchment around payments um, as a as a core uh, product so so that's very you know that's that's the the very wishy-washy version of what's going on. <laughs> no, but it's a good answer because
0: there's lessons for people in that. You know, sometimes the I guess the wedge you build, which is something the vagabond likes to talk about, and I'll hand over to him shortly. But you know, you build that wedge to get into a market. You build a user base that doesn't always have to be the way you create your long-term value. It's a platform off which you build, and a lot of businesses work like that in the modern day. You know, and a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of investors don't understand that. They want to apply traditional valuation techniques, and they say, oh. Are you you know? Are you mad? This thing doesn't make any money. Why would I pay anything for this? Their value investor hat just goes crazy. It's like the alarm compliance alarm bells when I applied for a QR code. You know, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but they don't understand growth investing, and they don't understand a wedge, and they don't understand network effect, and they just and, and sometimes then they go to the other extreme and they go and invest in companies where they think it has a network effect, but it doesn't. You know, and I write a lot about that kind of stuff on the finance ghost. So, vagabond, I have no doubt you'll have questions on that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think it this feeds into an interesting topic that we've been discussing between the two of us, which is uh, the unbundling and bundling of financial services. And uh, for our listeners not familiar with this, so basically unbundling means you're taking the different services and project, products of like a larger business, let's say a bank in this specific instance. So, I mean, if you think about the services, it's deposits, loans, wealth management, payment services, and a startup then basically focuses on one of those specific products or services. Um, in Snapscan scenario, that would be payments, being that first unbundling service, and then providing a great experience to the customer. So, I mean, that would be, in this case, people downloading um, the Snapscan app. I mean, everyone loves it. Like we said, it's already become a verb, and then different merchants using that. And after you've established that trust with the customer, um, basically then starting to um, provide additional services um, which we then call the the rebundling so I think that definitely speaks to that specific theme
2: yeah absolutely I mean y- you've got a if if you work in tech and and um, uh, continuous business model innovation isn't part of your 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 daily concerns then you won't be in tech for, for much longer <laughs> because the, the harsh reality is that you make a bunch of plans, you execute on it, you get feedback, and you realize that you're only like 30% on target. And so you have to but, – but it's not, it's not a wastage, right? You're building assets, and, and those assets can continuously be leveraged um, in, in various ways and, and forms. So, yeah, it's exciting. And, and the more you've got in this toolbox, the more you can do, and, and the, the more dynamic you can apply them
3: which I think is really exciting. An important part of it is probably to understand product very well. Um, You know, invest in your team and get a team of people that understand how product works. Uh, Chris likes using the differentiation a lot. You know, are you selling a feature or are you selling a product? And, you know, you'd be surprised how many people get that wrong. And I know we mentioned, you know, when you get to the verb phase, you're pretty successful in the stage, but you also run the risk of being completely commoditized in the market and, you know, just basically falling by the wayside because you're focusing on such a niche uh, feature of sorts that if it stands on its own someone else can literally just incorporate that onto their platform and completely make uh, make it completely redundant in the greater scheme of things that's interesting it's such a balancing act isn't it i think it's new tech like uh, the, the days of
2: hyper-focused products is is gone like it would be really tough to just start SnapScan the way it was started in, in 2013 2014 today the access to devs and, and the, the the general knowledge of of how to build these products have have improved vastly. You know, the, the days of like having to go to the US to figure out and, and work with people to understand how a product cycle works is gone. Like people are being churned out of you know Vega, and and they understand how how, how product design works. I, I didn't study that, um, yeah. but um, but they definitely did, and and I can't do their job. I, the, the, <laughs> Derek and I are just these people that ensure we hoard enough money to to pay the the real smart people to do the work
0: <laughs> yeah there's a debate around what skills actually matter in this new world i mean I, I, I I'm always very transparent on the the finance coast other than you know the real the real person behind the ghost, but just learning how to actually edit a podcast was one of the most hilarious experiences of my life. You know, it was like right up there with a the board exam. I thought, <laughs> this is just full-on vertical learning curve. You know, why don't they teach you this in school? I remember learning so much rubbish that I just don't use. And I'm still not sure that schools are fully adapted yet. I mean, what's going on in the working world now is even more hectic than what it was five, six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's It's crazy the skills you now need.
3: It's crazy. I mean, I think the biggest wake-up call was you know, looking at our product designers and the UX and UI designers and you look at you'll look at a mock up of a screen, and you think, that just works and you look at another one, that doesn't work comp- you know at all. And with my little accounting brain, I'll look at it and I say, no, this color probably needs to be this and that and whatever. And then I'd just be flabbergasted by, you know, the the backing and the, the the reinforcement of that decision is something that was studied, you know, learned over time. And I'm just thinking this is a completely new digital world and we're still sitting back at school where you learned, you know, just basically, basically nothing of that. Yeah. Which is My
0: highlight was being completely flummoxed by the podcast platform essentially. So I've got another podcast called Magic Markets and to get the first one published, obviously you need a cover image. And the hardest thing about that was to go and make an image that was large enough and perfectly square. So obviously, because I'm an ex-investment banker, the only graphic design software I know how to use is PowerPoint, which is not a graphic design software what? at all, <laughs> obviously. So straight, in, more? <laughs> yeah, so straight into PowerPoint, I went to create this enormous image, which was about seven times the size of the actual slide. Then you have to kind of like crop it into an enhanced meter file and make it a perfect square. And it took me, I'm not exaggerating, about four very painful okay. and very embarrassing hours to basically create a 1600 square pixel image. It was very sad and I was, I was horribly embarrassed, but I thought, stuff it, I'm going to push through this. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to do this. I refuse not to. Anyway, so there we are today. So, you know, just basic skills like creating an image would be kind of helpful these days for CAs like us
3: around this table and on the phone. Just kind of, it's it's kind of learning this whole culture of, you know, if as soon as you stop trying to learn new things, especially in the digital age today, I mean, you just fall by the wayside. Um, when, when I joined Snapscan, for instance, you know, we're already running cloud accounting, you know, straightforward stuff like that. And in our building, we've got a couple of audit firms. And our, I mean, we've been, it's been run like that for a couple of years already. And then you stand upstairs and you hear the auditors talk around you and they're like, oh, okay, we're going to move our clients over to zero now. And people are like, what is that? <laughs> Dude, you can log into the accounting at home. You don't have to be in the building connected to the server. And people are like, what? That's amazing. <laughs> the cloud computing trend, getting out of Excel. But absolutely. Oh, that's oh, but what frightens the, the hell out of me is this thing that, you know, you feel like you're ahead of the curve now, but if you don't keep running, you know, Couple of years from now, I'll be the guy in the lobby, you know, bragging about how fancy the thing is, and there'll be a youngster next to me saying, like, "Oh, exactly. this toppy doesn't know what." Exactly.
0: You'll be the guy on PowerPoint trying to create a sixteen hundred pixel square image. That's we,
2: the risk. We had our board meeting last week, Wednesday. Um, Derek will enjoy this one. Um, and uh, for the life of me, I couldn't get the audio sorted out on my computer. I literally just picked it up and gave it to Derek to sort out for me. I, I, I turned into my father for two seconds. I was just like I can't deal with this <laughs> the stress of people looking at me through this this, this screen is just too... And it's like what, a five year age gap? Yeah, what's four years.
0: Yeah, Wait,
3: Yeah, it's around there. It's like me and the Vagabond.
0: Yeah. Derek is uh, Derek to you is the Vagabond to me from a, a you
3: know previous life. I was I was <laughs> waiting for Chris to pull out his plus tens to try and find the button on there. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> What is
0: your salary review (laughs) it's already locked in (laughs) and the cfo chooses a shitty
1: um i just wanted to say luckily you've recruited my wife to start doing those graphic design things for you so i mean you're also doing well you're hustling so i think then uh i think the next thing that we want to discuss is just uh in regards to your uh, relationship with standard bank i mean it's a very different approach than a lot of uh, different startups take out there where there's almost this media story uh, painting startups as these disruptors um, always trying like the classic David and Goliath story. So I think we just want to understand uh, what was the, the reason behind that partnership with Standard Bank. If you guys can maybe just provide us with some details to that and how that relationship is going uh, that would be great.
2: Sure startups in in south africa do a very good job of of painting um painting a picture that that banks are incredibly inept and don't care about their customers and um don't do a good job of putting products out and you know um startups are startups are cool banks are bad boo Um, (laughs) and it's a it's a fun narrative to drive and it I mean, if if it's if that suits what you are trying to achieve, then by all means do it. I think something that I I learned from from Qubus and and that I've definitely in practice seen over the past just over two years that I've been at the helm of SnapScan is that the payments industry is an incredibly difficult beast to navigate. And as you get bigger, the more focus is is applied on what you do as a business, how you do it whether you're compliant, whether you're not compliant and and um, what you're allowed to do and what you aren't. I mean, if you're a small little startup, nobody knows who you are. And I mean, you've got two customers no regulator is going to know about you. <laughs> if you process the, the the number of payments and the, the random amounts that we do, we're very much part of the national payment system in, in that sense, which is regulated by law. And there is the Payments Association and the Banks Association of South Africa. That's, I mean, their jobs are to ensure that consumers are protected and bank laws are followed. What I realized about working with, with banks, which I think we should come Back to because that in itself is a is a topic. But but what I've learned is that banks are banks are like battleships. They're they're really big. They're heavy. They've got thousands of people on them. They all work in silos. They don't necessarily speak to one another because we're in 1943. Yeah? Like it's those type of battleships. They <laughs> displace a lot of weight. They're slow. They <laughs> they, they they don't always have 2020 tech i mean they've got terrible turning radiuses when when a bank or a battleship is is on a path like deviating from that path is incredibly difficult but what you must remember is that battleships have very competent officers on them and they've got really good they've got really good management and those people are are paid in order to spot potential and so battleships don 't travel on their own they they travel with corvettes you know and and uh and smaller little attack boats you You might realize that i 'm a bit of a naval warfare nut
0: corvettes mean something different to me,
2: but um, I, I know what you mean <laughs> a smaller ship, yes, as opposed to a fast american car <laughs> exactly so so i mean a a bank is is uh, is a bit lumpy, but when it 's turned and and when it 's got all its guns facing at you like that 's a predicament you don 't want to be in you'd much rather like roll with the battleship. And that's something that I've learned because that battleship's going to not just protect you against competitors. It's going to be a, a supply line to you. It's going to be guidance. Um, it's going to be a sponsoring entity for you in the national payment system. And that's, that's the relationship we've got with Standard Bank. We work very closely with them to figure out where we want to go. We're not dictated to. We we decide as a exco what we want to do. We decide what is from a financial perspective uh, will provide the best ROI for our shareholder. Hence, I mean, from a controlling interest perspective, that Standard Bank, and we we get board approval for that. But it's not like you know, it's you don't get micromanaged. Um, we have a board of directors that uh, is is comprised of myself and a, a number of Standard Bank execs. You know, they they are essentially. Mentors of ours, like they, they help us navigate. Um, they help us get the funding we need in order to execute on the strategies that we put forward and that they they buy into. So, my experience with you know working from a bank from that perspective is great. That's definitely from an investor perspective and a and a governance perspective. There are challenges, right? <laughs> I, I just mentioned them. It's it's very difficult to turn the ship. Uh, not all of the crew members necessarily want to be, always be there. And and so it's it's something that I'm constantly learning more about um, and kind of jumping out of my CA skin um, and learning how to play a bit of a social game rather than just trying to work in exile blocks and, and ask somebody for something and expect to get it just because I've asked. So there's a, there's a subtle art of working with banks um, and, and I, I would implore anyone who wants to start a fintech to just recognize that banks are not there because they want to make you money banks are there because they've got massive balance sheets and they need to make money for themselves if you're unable to show them how you're going to do that for them you won't have a fintech business in this country <laughs> there's a mega insight so i've got some experience doing acquisitions
0: of startups for a corporate and i can completely agree with all of that and It's a tough thing for startup founders to get their heads around the way these corporates work. There is a lot of, you know, there will always be politics and that's definitely not a comment on your shelter at all. It's a comment on every big business that is comprised of a whole lot of people on a big ship. I love your analogy. And you've got to play the game and it's it's really tough for a startup type business to actually understand that because there's no game here. You know, you guys sit around a table, you make a decision and you go. And it's really hard to understand why everyone can't do that. But if you can understand that and you can kind of put on your... I'm on the board hat and then take it off when you come back here and, you know, now I'm in the startup world. Then I think that's the, that's the bridge.
1: Our first blog post that we did for the Venturing Vagabond was all about trying to really describe what a startup is. And what we basically concluded was that a startup is a temporary organization that goes on this fact-finding mission and tries to validate the, the insights that they have. And I think with that backdrop and uh, what we've been told here today, Would you guys still consider Snapscan to be a startup? And um, I think the next question is, at what point does a company then stop being a
3: startup? So I joined Snapscan when it wasn't a startup and there was one very tangible uh, piece of evidence. So when I joined, there was no ping pong table in the lobby. And that to me was the (laughs) biggest embodiment of... uh, ping pong index. (laughs) This is not a startup anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We even had a, a... uh table tennis ping pong table at our um previous investment banking job the goes and i so i mean i don't know if that qualifies De- derek
2: is is trying to get me to to out myself as a ping pong hater is that what's going on here?
0: Yes. I thought there was a backstory. It it was clear to me that something this couldn't have been as
2: smart as a ping pong index. There was an agenda here. It was clear. <laughs> I, I truly believe in the ping pong index. <laughs> I, I, it's a thing that that I, I hold dear to to some of my learnings. We, we we worked we had this old office in um in the Burk um, in Urban Hub. And, uh, that just sounds like a Pinpon Index kind of address, straight yes, off
0: the bat. <laughs> very,
2: very much. And, and so, the,
0: as soon as it's called a hub, you just know it's full <laughs> of people with
2: great facial hair and good coffee and, and a big dream. Yeah, and, and stinky toes. <laughs> oh, really, that, that too. <laughs> but um, but we had this this company below us, and and it's a heritage building, so they can't redo the floors, so they kind of just like come and stick metal into the holes every now and then. <laughs> but but it's it's not soundproof, and we had so many companies like leasing the floor just below us and they would just come and go and come and go and come and go and in my mind i just created this common denominator of them all having a ping pong table because we could hear it through the floorboard Um, and it would drive me insane but that's where i created the ping pong table index that is phenomenal Derek wanted to get us a ping pong table for this office, and I just blankly refused. Like, we're not going out of business. <laughs> There's no way.
0: Yeah, Derek, I must say, my experience doesn't support your ping pong. I was a big ping pong supporter in a previous life, but I, I've, I feel reformed. Maybe it's when you hit your 30s. You know, we're, we're both on the wrong side of that. So, I mean, Derek, it's like a 20s vibe. I don't know. I love a bit of ping pong, but I, I know, I've seen what it does.
3: Yeah, I came here with a polished little, you know, bat and ball and everything, <laughs> and then. Um, but it's it, 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 it's it's been great. I can just see your interviews. Like, what's your IFRS
0: like? It's average, but my pinpoint is spectacular. Well, wow, sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can do a nice backspin. <laughs> yeah,
2: run startup, run day. Yeah, but, um to, to answer your your question on a serious note, I um. I think if you if if you ask every person at Snapskin, you might get different answers. Right, like the the way in... And, and I mean, I've got a different definition to, to startups than, than perhaps you guys have. I, I, I just I don't think just because you validated a problem, you stop becoming a, a startup. Um, I think it's a, and I mean, we're getting really philosophical, right? Like, if a startup fails in Silicon Valley, was it really a startup ever? You know, that kind of juice. Um, but I think it's a, a combination of the funding model. Um, and whether it's it's found a problem that um, can be solved at scale, um, that has a, a suitable business model, which requires um, ongoing investment in order to get it to that 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 level where the asset e- e- essentially just starts spinning exponentially quicker. Um, and for me, that's that's what a startup is like. A, a, it's a combination of the funding and
1: almost creating like a flywheel. Yeah
2: yeah so, yeah essentially um like the the inertia to some extent and and so um a lot of that startup mentality is born out of um necessity because of the commercial basis of that company so um the ability to work incredibly hard um is not something that comes by itself. It, it comes due to motivation of your company running out of money soon and the fact that this problem is so so interesting for you to solve that you don't want to run out of money before you solve it or get to that stage where you can prove to an investor that you are able to solve this problem, but not just solve it, do so in a, in a scalable manner. Um, and that's what a, a startup is for me. Um, and I think the the way that I look at it, just because I've never like I joined this company as an exited startup, like it literally sold to a bank, right? So th- there's no way I can <laughs> spin the yarn today and say, well, SnapScan is the hottest startup uh, in the fintech industry. We're we're still fintech. I just don't think we're we're a, a startup in that sense. But if you ask our devs the way in which they they come to work, they they definitely have the view that they're solving interesting problems um, and that there is definitely a time frame attached to when they need to solve those problems by. Um, Derek certainly knows that there is a time frame in in order of of funding and and what we um, promise to deliver. Um, And in that sense, I think Snapscan has a a startup mentality. Um, We're very close to that route, but commercially we're not necessarily a startup anymore
0: such a cool definition, linking it to something like cash burn and having to solve a problem in a space of time. I think that's brilliant, you know, because in so many ways, then Tesla's kind of a startup too, actually. And yep. I think that's right, actually, because I think they're still trying to solve a problem. And I have a, you know, alternative view that I think Tesla's business model is still going to change completely. I think the part they're on currently is going to fail. I think they're going to end up as a renewable energy and battery specialist. They're going to stop making cars. But that's an unusual view, and it's not held by many. Um Just that for me, they, they are BlackBerry 2.0, and uh yeah, that, that's a really that's a really cool insight. I think that that's a great summary of of the difference really between a startup and a corporate. Because a corporate knows they they're, they're going to make money next year. Their biggest problem is can they get their earnings up by 10 percent or 12 percent. Whereas in startup land, it's
2: like, are we going to solve this problem by October? Yeah, you know. And corporates want to retain market share, right? That that's their metric. Um yep. If if you're as big as Bank, like you have the biggest balance sheet in Africa. Yeah. Um. You're not going down next year. You, you'll be okay. <laughs> um, for for us, the the door is wide open in terms of growth. So, um, and that's that's a critical piece of being a startup. Like if if there's room for expansion and and you can do so scalably, then you you're either still a startup
3: or you're running your business on startup principles.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant.
3: Yeah, a big part of it is also like story investing. So you refer to Tesla as a, in you know per that definition as a startup. Um, I think it's more in the sense that you buy into a five-year or ten-year story. You know, We talked about overinflated PE values. It's not because they're investing for tomorrow. So yeah. in the startup mentality, in the startup world, you're running on the short end, but you also need to convince people of the bigger picture, the bigger story, um, get those stakeholders mm-hmm. invested. And we see with all these kind of Silicon Valley-style startups, people aren't investing in – they're investing in the now because they can see these guys can deliver in a short uh, space of time. But then, also, they want to see they're really investing in what the company is going to be in five years from now. Or and that's what it's why going they to be
0: use revenue multiples because they say total address will market. How much of that can you get? So what's a reasonable revenue multiple? Because profit multiples just don't make sense. You know there's a and it's an exciting time to be alive because there's this pool of venture capital out there that allows businesses like SnapScan to come along and change the way we all engage with the world, the consumer experience, you know the whole shebang. it just wasn't there. 20 and 30 years ago and now that that ecosystem exists and all of our lives are better off for it there's no question about it yeah. so yeah it's very interesting vagabond i think we're coming to the end here with our quick fire questions which uh will slightly come as a surprise to the two of you but we'll see how you do um i think i go first and then the vagabond uh, is up next so i'll kick it off your favorite
3: book and why yeah i'll start it um I'm currently reading a book which I'm enjoying quite a bit. It's called "Non-B.S. Innovation," but the full word. It 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 cuts through this this stigma of what true innovation is, and surprisingly, it doesn't focus. It focuses on success stories in the industry, but not the kind of small startups you look at today. It's more about you know the behemoths that have managed to create innovation within their environments, the kind of tactics they use, which is quite nice. Looking on our side, you know, with 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 the bank, you know, on our shoulder. Or we we you know are sitting on their shoulder. Um and how these kind of corporate big corporates can, you know, push innovation, you know, sustainably, responsibly, um and completely cuts through, you know, the slang and the rubbish and you know, doesn't even focus on those kind of uh, guys, yeah. Um I,
2: I would say Tintin, because I really I, I have a box set and I I really enjoy reading Tintin. But um more to the topic, um uh, and one that I I read again last year is um, the Lean Startup by Eric Reese. Yeah, um, classic. I mean, for anyone trying to get into fintech business, like read that. Uh, it's it's the yeah. it's the the Bible of of entering this this environment. Yeah, I agree with that fully.
1: Okay, most interesting startup in South Africa and why? What are the guys doing?
2: The the drone a robotics. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. Everyone wants to do a drone startup not many people have actually done a drone startup with a with a business model behind it i think it's pretty cool
1: is
0: this what they discuss at pinpon club like hey
2: guys how do we do a drone startup yes yes. okay yeah
1: and it's turned into like an analytics business as well yeah
2: exactly i mean the data is there so in perpetuity
3: it's just going to be more valuable yeah i'm i'm enjoying sweeps out at the moment quite a bit i don't know if they classify as a startup still you know, it's, they're selling a great story. You know, you, you're addressing uh, inequality, you're addressing um, employment figures in South Africa, and you really like tapping into that. You're getting, you're getting the right sh- uh, stakeholders invested into it. It obviously has its challenges in terms of uh, retention mechanisms, um, and then obviously, f- you know, funding still is a thing there. But I'm really enjoying the way they're currently selling the story, you know, and addressing, you know, core principles. And,
1: and
0: another network
2: business, actually
1: okay
3: then uh,
2: Apple or Android Apple I'm, I'm too stupid to code <laughs> yeah I'm also an Apple fanboy, as fanboy I have an Android
0: phone and I still use PowerPoint for graphic design you don't have to be that smart to have an Android phone eh?
3: <laughs>
0: so uh, <laughs> my one is uh, not everyone does these so you can read it as New Year's resolution or just big goal for 2021 personal goal not business goal we know there's a
2: lot going on here each of you uh, run more eat and drink less <laughs>
3: <laughs> nice. I probably want to be able to, I want to get better in guitar. So, I currently play at the moment, but by the end of next year I'd probably like to be able to play Eruption from Van Halen. There we go. At some stage, you know. It's at least more unique than the table tennis vibe You can do this. <laughs> I'll, I'll find out <laughs> Chris's policy on guitar amps and they can use Guitar <opposite>. hero, surely, <laughs> Is that even a thing a anymore? Band. <laughs> as long as I can air snap guitar,
2: I, I might make, make that my personal goal, is just to air guitar next year. I think
3: I just need to get Chris on drums and then we can have uh, like. You'll have to think of, of a good name there.
2: for the Snap Scan band. What would you
0: name the Snapscan band, Derek? That's a hell of an unfair question straight off the bat. You can actually think about that one. We'll come back to
1: you. Okay, my last question is a conversation topic that usually gets you into like, long-drawn arguments.
2: Payments industry.
0: <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> sorry.
1: The question was uh, a,
0: a conversation topic. Derek was thinking about the name of the SnapScan yeah, band is what's going on there. It's the, uh, <laughs> the topic that gets you into long-drawn-out arguments.
3: Yeah, if you just throw the word innovation at all, and yeah, another thing is saying you work at SnapScan, and then people just come with like a shopping list of suggestions, and you know, other think the product can improve. You tr- you kind of like try to avoid the topic uh, around campfires or prize. Um, yes. Otherwise, you just get caught up with some guy that also just read a book somewhere and feels like an you know, authority on innovation.
2: <laughs> yeah. If it's if it's the wrong crowd, <laughs> I just say I work at a bank. Like <laughs> I'll I'll do anything to just not just not in engage. That. Yeah, on that conversation. <laughs>
0: makes sense okay my last question um, each other's strongest point as CEO and CFO so Derek you're answering about Chris and Chris you're answering about Derek and this is Derek This you need to remember that he is the boss so you have to be nice and Chris can obviously just be honest who's going
2: first <laughs> Chris I'll pay you a compliment first there we go um when you when you work in an environment like this, you always have this like north star, clear objective of what you're working towards. But the way in which you get there is just like on a day to day basis can change, and and a, a large part of that is is funding and and uh, relationships with uh, with your investors. And and so um, when an opportunity arises, you kind of have to put a, a business case together fairly quickly, and it's something that I just ha- haven't been able you know, to to get time for in in the past year so uh, i think the the biggest compliment i could pay derek is that when on short notice i ask him to just like (laughs) wave his wand and and generate out of thin air a pretty robust you know model he goes "Uh." (laughs) (laughs) and then i go when do you think this will be done (laughs) he's like I can make some time this week, <laughs> <laughs> and it it gets done. Like, um, uh, and I, I think that's something that holds true for for anyone in Sask. And when we know that um, the the stakes are high and we we need to move fast, um, we're we're very good at prioritizing things. And, and oftentimes, things that I ask for, and um, yeah, Derek Derek's just pretty quick on those things. And uh, yeah, I must say. You might be a CA and, and you might have done the work before, but if, if you haven't done it for two years, it's, I mean, if I had to go and build a business model today, it'll take me a week. Um, and, and Derek's really gotten incredibly good at it. Not, not, not by lack of practice, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Chris.
2: My pleasure. Um,
0: he
3: also has an incredible beard.
0: He does. He does have an almighty startup beard. It makes up for the lack of a pinpon table, actually. I'll be honest. It does.
3: I think for this podcast, you need to give the ghost a beard you know, uh, as a, as uh, a homage.
0: No, the ghost is fresh out of beard. It's not for lack of trying for many years. Many. I, I specialize in a lot of hair on my head. I don't know if that yeah. makes up for it.
3: Well, look, you're, you're in Cape Town, you know, so True. you know you're talking about startups, So I think you need to. I mean, get again, it's not for lack. It's not because I don't want one. Yeah, I just I can't.
0: The I ghost can't.
2: and I haven't shaved off the Movember. Yes, are you in the same boat as yeah. me? And you have the same curly hair, actually. Chris I, and I. I've been growing my beard for the past twenty years. Okay, like me. Chris is
0: like a tall and athletic version of me. It's it's quite sad. Derek, you're uh, you're you're. You float. So... <laughs> it's true. I, I would. I would certainly float.
3: If if I had to give Chris one big compliment, um, he's a very good custodian of the company culture. Um, when I started working here, you know, it was about six months in, and I just realised. Um. I've never, I've never heard someone shout at someone else in the office environment. I've never, you know, and you, you can get some quite hairy companies where you know it's, it's very ego inflated. It's very, you know, t- territorial, and people, you know, fight their, they, they draw their lines in the sand. They'll just defend it to death, and nobody concedes, and it becomes a very aggressive and hostile environment. Um, and Chris is very good at, you know, maintaining this good company culture. The way he treats individuals, uh, engages teams. Um, and 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 it's not in a form of being soft or anything it's just being a good respect of human beings um you know respecting differences of opinion um but then also having the great ability to drive a point home where it needs to be done um convincing you know taking both sides and communicating you know the intentions which is which is quite rare um a lot of people just say, you know, it's my way or the highway and you know, each person walks away offended or there's some loser or winner and Chris has the ability to out of any engagement um reassure people that, you know, it, it, it sounds corny, but you know, you walk away both winners. Thanks, Derek.
0: <laughs> Derek, before we go, I'm waiting to hear what the snapscan band would be called. I'm not
3: leaving you off. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad, I even missed the question thinking Snapchat. about it. But... <laughs> What do you say? Snap Jam. <laughs> Snap Jam. That's it's, a good name. Sounds like a breakaway yeah. app, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be one. I mean, we could, we could use our cloud based infrastructure platform, you know, to um, connect musicians <laughs> across South Africa, you know. There we go. Start a whole chain away from pinpon tables. Yeah, and just finish it off with, you know, making the world a better place. That's it. Just yeah. call the band
0: Pinpon, and I think you'll encompass <laughs> basically, basically everything. Guys, if people want to stay up to date with what's going on at SnapScan, if they want to see. Uh, obviously, I mean, who wouldn't want to work here? You know, whether or not you're hiring, et cetera, what's the best way to keep track of Snapscan and what's going on? Where
2: should they be following you or, or checking you out? Yeah, so, I mean, um, we we really have a, a very pretty Instagram account. Um, so if if you're interested in, in seeing what our merchants are doing and, we, I mean, we, we feature them quite a bit, um, that's a really great way of, of staying informed. Um, but we also recently launched our... Um, our blog, uh, big shout out to, to Mike and Caitlin and, and all the many contributors. Um, and, and so the blog is really cool because – um it's it forms part of our our main website it's, uh, inside the blog we've gotten a number of people that work at snapscan to to write about things that they're passionate about or cool projects that they've been involved with so there's some some really interesting insights from our cti for example about diversity and tech in south africa one of our, our dave tabang wrote a, a really cool piece that i've seen trend on linkedin quite a bit um about emotional security in the workplace yeah. which is something that that we're really uh you know conscious of and, and we take fairly seriously but then there's a co- bunch of cool stuff that we've done this year like a, a very cool visit Salambosch campaign that required us to overall parts of our tech for example to drive uh, wallet expenses within a very small ecosystem where a community wanted to jumpstart like their restaurants after lockdown ended so oh, brilliant! there's some cool stuff there
0: <laughs> yeah that's excellent fantastic look I think that's pretty much what we have time for today this has been the inaugural episode of Startup Gentile I think it's been fantastic guys thank you so much for your time um, you were really great and uh, Vagabond, thank you as well and uh, we look forward to cert- yeah. certainly doing many more of these so thank you
3: yeah thanks so much it was a lot of fun absolutely thanks thank you cheers
1: yeah thanks Chris and Eric